Hi, and welcome to Car Crash the Podcast. Your fellow sleep-deprived IB students are back with another episode. Our first episode, actually. <laughs> Whatever medical or economic slash business thing we're going to talk about today. This is your pal, Waris. And first of all, no. Would you like to give an introduction to what this podcast is going to be? No. <laughs> like, the <first laughs> what this is going to be about. We're going to be discussing about how the COVID-19 virus works and its effects on Malaysia. Yeah. yeah, and we made this podcast mainly to... To look good for university. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to look good for university. So Harvard, Oxford, if you're listening. <laughs> Hire me. Exactly. <laughs> I want to be a medical student. That's why I'm doing this. Okay, should we get right into it? Do we have any business to take care of? How's your EE been going? Putting it off. Really? Yeah. What, what, what happened to it? <laughs> just getting personal. <laughs> I just be personal. I can't stand to look at it because it looks like it needs a lot of adjustments. <laughs> we had no more flashbacks, so... How about yours? I have 22 pages of research and I don't know where to start writing the introduction. Th- that is a lot. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I just... It, it's just sitting... It's just sitting around my room, I haven't gone back to it yet. Should probably get started on it though. Yeah, once you leave it off for too long, you like forget, forget everything. everything. It's hard to get back on track. Crap. Okay, that's enough about ourselves. I don't like sharing too much. Right, let's get right into it. Yeah, so before we talk about COVID-19 and what it really is, I feel like we should go, we should take a step back and talk about what viruses are in general. For the listener to know because both of us took biology and we <laughs> that sounds so pretentious <laughs> <laughs> so viruses are microorganisms that exist almost everywhere on earth and are actually the most abundant biological entity on your body and in your body right now researchers estimate that there are around 380 trillion viruses would that kill you? Sure, if they wanted to. Yeah, and if all of the viruses on Earth around 1 times 10 to the power of 31, that's 1 plus 30 zeros, right? How am I supposed to know? As I've you can tell, well. <laughs> Yeah, they'll stretch for 100 million light years. That's probably from like the sun to Pluto. I have no clue. <laughs> As you can tell, we are very experts in this topic. <laughs> yeah, so viruses can infect animals, plants, fungi, or even bacteria with what's known as a um, bacteriophage. And I was going to do my bio-EE in this actually, but we didn't have <laughs> bacteriophages and a bit salty, but that's okay. Yeah, so some viral diseases are fatal, whereas others don't even trigger a noticeable reaction. And they can affect one type of organisms or multiple type of organisms based on, but um, they would have different effects based on their physiology or anatomy. So like a virus that affects cows and humans will probably have different symptoms and not the same. Like for example, I think smallpox and cowpox, they're similar viruses, but they have very different um, symptoms in humans and versus animals. So viruses themselves are actually not alive. They are they're not considered alive because they don't perform the seven biological 
processes of life. They're so simple that they don't even have their own replication mechanism, so they'll have to hijack a host cell to exploit it for its replication mechanism and make more viruses. Viruses um, include rabies, herpes, and Ebola, and most recently the COVID-19 or, or SARS-CoV-2 virus. Although, since viruses aren't alive, they can't be killed with antibiotics, so we need what's called antivirals, and that's a topic for a different day. And vaccination can also control the spread, or at least reduce the, reduce the symptoms, because your immune system or your humoral immune system would have been activated. Before a virus enters a cell, they're actually called virions, very fun name. And in this phase, they're around 100 times smaller than the size of a singular bacterial cell or a bacterium and have two or three distinct parts. The first being their genetic material, either DNA, the double-stranded DNA thing that we know, and RNA, the single-stranded, same thing about single-stranded. It also has a protein coat or a capsid that protects the genetic information, kind of like a more robust cell membrane. And finally, a lipid envelope that sometimes is present outside the cell, although not in all cases. Since viruses themselves are so simple, they don't have an organelle that um, they don't have its own protein repli protein replication machinery or a ribosome, so they're totally dependent on exploiting their host cell for this. And without a host, they simply cannot reproduce. There are four categories of um, viruses. Categorized by shape and sizes. Firstly, is the helical. Helical shaped, what does it literally look like springs? Next is the icosahedral or near spherical virus. It's round, I guess, and most animal viruses are this shape. And then we have the envelope virus, where this kind of viruses have a modified section of the cell membrane that acts as a protective lipid envelope to evade the immune system, like influenza or HIV. And finally, it's the one com complex shaped viruses are the ones that we are most familiar with. Those kind of viruses that look like aliens, you know, the ones with like spider looking. Yeah, and that have kind of like a needle to inject, to stick it into the whole cell and inject it. That's what that he said. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. So you know how male squids... <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, male squids, when they find like a suitable female, they eject their penis and then it like punctures the female and that's how they get pregnant. When you're getting impaled by your... <laughs> exactly, like, I don't know if the guy has it, the, the male squid has his own penis anymore. Also, they just lose it. Yeah, they just lose it. Oh, that's sad. Literally shoot your shot, bro. Exactly. <laughs> Very fun. Okay, let's get back to this. Do you have any idea where viruses come from? Like, they're not living, so their purpose is literally to just replicate and hijack other whole cells. There are three main competing hypotheses, and it's actually pretty hard to know because viruses are so small, they don't leave mm. fossil records like other 
microorganisms do, I guess. So it's really hard to trace their origin, but there are three hypotheses nonetheless. The first is what's called the regressive or reductive hypothesis, whereby we think that viruses started off as an independent organism and then it became, it evolved to become a parasite. And over time, it shed off its genes that didn't help it to parasitize. parasitize. And so that became completely dependent on their host cell, which they inhibit. The second um, hypothesis is a progressive or escape hypothesis, um, whereby um, viruses evolved from a section of DNA or RNA that has escaped from the genes of larger organisms, and then gained the ability to become independent and move between cells, and ultimately become dependent on the cells that they inhabit. Okay, the last is the virus first hypothesis, whereby we think viruses evolved from complex molecules of nucleic acids and proteins, either before or at the same time the first cells on Earth appeared. Yeah, so it's kind of so they're not evolved from anything; they're just there. Yeah, but the we same don't. Same with everything. True, it's like you remember that that Louis Pasteur experiment or whatever. No. But, What's that? Inorganic nutrients can spontaneously become organic molecules with like lightning and stuff. Remember that that lesson we had? I think it was unit two or unit three. Are you sure that's not chem? No, it's bio. Cool. <laughs> Did not remember that. <clears throat> anyway, viruses um only live. I guess to spread, although they don't really live. They exist only to reproduce. It is literally their raison d'etre. And they reproduce to spread their new offspring to new cells or new hosts. And viruses can be spread through touch, exchange of bodily fluids, like saliva or like cough drops. Cough. When you cough or sneeze, the respiratory droplets. Social contact, contaminated food or water. And viruses like dengue. Zika or it's a fun word, chicken gunya can be spread by <laughs> chicken gunya virus. It's actually a pretty interesting one. I'm trying to research it. Probably chikung, an chikungunya, 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 chikungunya. chikungunya. <laughs> yeah, and it's spread by the Aedes mosquito. Or Do you get bitten by mosquitoes? I don't. Does this like? I don't know if it's a scientific proven kind of thing, but it's like if you use your phone too much. And then, <laughs> I use my phone. <laughs> right? And then you get mosquitoes. Is that a thing? Talent. No, like you'll get them. And you oh, don't you rip get- it. Yeah, you'll get them. That's why my mom's always like, touch some grass. <laughs> you know, get rid of like <laughs> Yeah. She's like, oh, you got too much. No! Radiation! And she's like, touch some grass. Like, <laughs> to attract the mosquito. <laughs> I don't know. My Asian mom leaves everything <laughs> on my phone, okay? I don't know anything anymore. It's always like, it's your phone! So I just kind of believe her. It's not difficult too. The coronavirus... Okay, before that, we're gonna talk about... We take a step back. Talk about coronaviruses in general. Coronaviruses belong to the... Corona Viridae family and it's a large family made up of positive sense single stranded RNA viruses of the Nidovirus. I, I, I practiced this word yesterday. 
Nido virales. Doesn't this sadly stem from like like their result from mutations from animals or something? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I'm gonna be talking about that soon. Whereby yeah, hold your horses for okay. a second. Okay. Yes, so coronaviruses belong to the nidovirus order. And it's made up of four genera. Very boring names though. Alpha, beta, gamma, gamma, and delta. Corona, as we all as we all should know by now at least, coronaviruses are named are called are named corona because they have crown-like spikes on the outside of the virus. And they are actually very small in size, around 63 to 125 nanometers in diameter. And there are seven coronaviruses that cause diseases in humans. SARS, um, acute, severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus SARS, and Middle Eastern um, respiratory syndrome or MERS have caused outbreaks in the past and SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 is um, causing the ongoing pandemic. So what's the thing that's so special or distinct about this time, this SARS-CoV-2 is because of the Wuhan outbreak and how it killed um, 1,800 and infected 70,000 in just 50 days. And it, yeah. And the Chinese researchers, they named it novel coronavirus, but then it was later renamed as SARS-CoV-2 by the Taxonomy of viruses are ICTV. Did you know that it existed? They are so Taxonomy of viruses. <clears throat> yeah, but for the sake of this episode and for my sake, I guess, <laughs> I'll be calling, I'll be using SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 interchangeably because it's... The same thing. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So COVID-19 is very, very contagious and transmissible, mainly due to its affinity to bind to what's called an ACE2 receptor. Which what is that? Don't worry, I'm gonna talk about that later. <laughs> Hold your horses. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, and it spreads very rapid. It has spread it very rapidly to in Wuhan itself and then to more than 200 countries. The main leading theory of on where the COVID-19 virus comes from is from bats. And DNA analysis have shown that bats are reservoirs of the disease. But conclusions, I think, should still be suspended because we don't know if it's truly it's truly due to this zoonotic. The lab leak theory is being brought up again. And this time it's not being completely excluded or denied. And it's, I feel like there is some truth to it. And maybe one day we should talk about it. But yes, it is very politically contentious. So maybe That's today we don't go there. there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't go there today. You know what the Wuhan lab, the virology lab. There's a lot going on between US and China blaming each other. Exactly. And yeah. it's actually funded by, not, maybe not completely funded. I'm not really sure anymore. But Dr. Fauci has a stake in like, the, the National Institute of Health in the US gave like a grant to the Wuhan lab and Dr. Fauci himself is involved 
and then there's a lot to the, there's a lot in there, but we don't know anything right now. So like conspiracy. It may be a conspiracy. It may also not be a conspiracy. Because after all, there are a biology lab, and you know, and even that the bad thing that so there is confirmed a virology lab in Wuhan. There, there is a virology lab, but we don't know. You add two and two together, it does make sense. Yeah, but it's also dangerous to talk about that because the wildlife theory that that's the thing that's the main theory that WHO and China I think they said, but still we don't know yet because there's still like people who didn't go to the market that got it as well but then but then again you could just say that it spread very quickly so we don't we, I, I don't know yet I haven't done much <laughs> speculating <clears throat> yeah and it's 80% similar to the SARS virus but only 50% similar to the MERS virus but 96.2% similar to bat related coronaviruses so there is some truth to that that, that theory that it may have came from bats. Oh, they did like comparisons with other animals too. Yeah, and um, genomic sequencing of the SARS-CoV-2 virus has also shown that it's very, very closely related. It's If you look at it from that phylogenetic genetic tree, SARS-CoV-2 is most closest to the rat coronaviruses. And then to pangolin coronaviruses, then to the human SARS coronavirus. There's like like two degrees of separation right there. So there is some, I guess, the data for now points to that it, it came from wildlife at least. And COVID-19 is extremely contagious and it's directly transmitted when a when an individual comes into contact with comes into contact with respiratory droplets of an infected person, or it can also be indirectly transmitted by coming into contact with objects that has been used or touched by an infected person. So this is kind of interesting. The COVID-19 virus can survive up to four hours on copper, 24 hours on cardboard, but up to 72 on plastic and steel. Cards I'm not dead yet. <laughs> yeah, and and I think your mom told said something about this, whereby the virus is actually kind of airborne. At this point, yeah. Yeah. The mutations? Yeah, I'm having mm-hmm. yeah, mutations. Yeah, and, and the virus can last up to 8 to 14 minutes in the air after a person sneezes, after an infected person sneezes, coughs and talks, but that's more so for an enclosed indoor situation. But I haven't really looked into outdoors yet, though, so that could be interesting. The structure of the coronavirus is complex and simple at the same time. There are um, six major components, six major proteins, I would say, or yeah, five major protein and one the bit viral envelope that helps it um, infect its whole cell. So the first is the trimary or spike protein, like the crowns, the corona crowns on the virus itself. It has what is called a receptor binding domain on the spikes that um, attaches to these um, ACE receptors on its whole cells. And it's special because the receptor binding domain on um, SARS-CoV-2 viruses are um, have, we have um, theorized that 
it maintains intramolecular forces or van der Waals forces quite well. So for non-chem student, that means that the spike protein is able to adhere better to the attachment sites of the whole cells. So it... Then it can stick on the whole cells better. Yeah. And because it's whole cells have like all the... The receptors. receptors. Yeah, so they're more... It has a higher affinity of sticking to them. So theoretically, I guess, you need less viruses to achieve the same... Oh yeah, I watched a video. Because like some viruses, they don't have that. So it's harder for them to bind to the receptors to attach into the host cell. Exactly, yeah. But SARS-CoV can and it's more scary, easily. Yes. Yeah, and because... They're... That's why it's so transmissible. Yeah, and also the receptor that it binds to, the ACE2 receptor. It's present in basically the everywhere. <laughs> the heart, the kidneys, the testes, the lungs, the nasal, nasal the oral mucosa, and also the nasal pharynx. Nasal pharynx. Nasal pharynx. Yeah. pharynx. S1 is just, I think it's a type of, yeah, so the S1 or S1 protein on the spikes, on the spike. Recognizes these um, ACE2 receptors on the lungs, kidney, heart, intestines, esophagus, liver, and blood vessels and attach to the host cell membrane. So the S1 <clears throat> protein on the surface of the. Yeah, on the spikes attaches to the cell, on the whole cell. And then the whole cell itself will release what's called proteases or enzymes that speed up the breaking of protein bonds. Yeah, so once the coronavirus um, attaches to the whole cell, the whole cell releases its proteases or enzymes that speed up the breaking of um, protein bonds to cleave the spike protein. But when it does this, it actually allows for the fusion of the virus to come inside the whole cell. And this process is mediated by the S2 protein. Um, I'm equally confused. <laughs> the thing is, Wait, so was the whole cell trying to like defend itself? But by doing by, so... It, but it ended up binding it. Yeah, it, it comes Wait. in. So you can see how it exploits. It's like Uno reverse. Trick, trickery. 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 Okay, now let's just... Entry? Yeah, let's take another step back and... Do <laughs> I? <laughs> We're just walking backwards in this podcast. <laughs> okay, so... Let's talk about the mechanism of entry and replication. Mm-hmm. When, a, when someone sneezes, or um, when a person comes into contact with respiratory droplets or any other kind of... Uh, contact with the virus and it enters through their nose, eyes, or mouth, the spike protein binds to the ACE2 receptors that are present when it enters your lung, at least. The spike protein then binds to the ACE receptors present in the type 2 pneumocytes. So these type 2, in your lungs, there's two types of pneumocytes. There's type 1 and type 2. Mm -hmm. Type 2 produces a pulmonary surfactant, basically this liquid that tries to avoid, to reduce mm-hmm. the collapsing pressure and decrease surface tension in the alveola. So that don't collapse on itself when there's no air, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you breathe out, basically. Okay, so the coronavirus binds to the ACE proteins and 
By doing so, the virus enters the whole cell. This is respiratory infection, right? Yeah, respiratory infection. Okay. I haven't looked at the eyes or anything else, though. Me neither. I, I only did respiratory. I think the most common way, yeah. once it binds the ACE2 receptors, the virus enters the whole cell because of proteases on the enzymes that cleave the spike protein, allowing it to enter. It can enter by direct entry, where it just goes through the, the membrane, or a membrane fusion whereby the virus's membrane joins the, the membrane of the whole cell. And then once the virus is inside the whole cell, it releases its positive sense RNA into the cytoplasm. And unlike typical flu viruses that travels to the nucleus once um, its genetic material is in the cell, the coronavirus RNA first translates its RNA into polyproteins PP1A and PP1AB. <laughs> yeah, and these proteins are, are made to help in replication and transcription of viral RNA. So basically from the get-go, the virus is trying to replicate more and more of itself. And it's different from, let's say, the flu virus because when they enter the whole cell, they attack the nucleus when, and they insert their own genetic material into the nucleus. But it's not the same for coronaviruses, or at least I haven't found the evidence that suggests that yet. And then there is the replication of the RNA genetic material itself with RNA-dependent RNA polymerase enzymes that turn it into negative RNA, so it reads the other direction. And when it reads to the other direction, it allows for... It can be either replicated again... Okay, so it, the thing about DNA and RNA, it can, it can only be read sometimes, most of the time, in one direction by a enzyme, right? Mm -hmm. So a positive sense RNA basically means... I can't remember which direction. <laughs> Maybe it's okay. three times to five times. I have no clue. It reads in one direction and negative yeah. sense is the other direction. So the RNA, the positive sense RNA from the virus uh, is replicated into negative sense RNA. So its opposite is being made, but it's the same sequence. It's just mirrored. The, the order is different. Um, backwards. Mm -hmm. And when it's in this form, the negative sense RNA can either be replicated back into positive strand RNA, so back into the viral genetic material and incorporated into viral genome, or um, the negative sense RNA itself can be transcribed when it makes um, more proteins because, like I said earlier, only ribosomes can only read a certain direction. And in this case, the negative sense RNA can be can only be translate can only be transcribed into proteins, which is why you don't directly go from positive to proteins. You have to go from positive sense to negative to proteins. It's basically that transcription translation thing, but more complex for viruses, I guess. Okay, so now we have the viral proteins from the um from from the negative sense RNA, and we also have the viral genome itself from the positive strand RNA that was replicated from the negative sense RNA. Get it? <laughs> so far? Yeah! <laughs> Sorry if it's confusing. And then the whole cell 
endoplasmic reticulum carries the viral proteins to the Golgi apparatus, where it's packaged into vesicles and then assembled near the cell host membrane. And then new viruses just burst out their ex exocytosis to infect other cells, and the cycle repeats again. So to give an overview, I guess, your cell is like a big beach ball, and then a smaller ball comes in, like a gumball, I guess, attaches to the to your big beach ball, and then <laughs> the virus <laughs> diffuses into the virus enters the your cell, whereby it releases its RNA protein RNA, um, R it releases its RNA, and then it's I then it has to um be transcribed into not transcribed translated into um negative sense RNA the other direction when it does it when, when that happens then only you can transcribe viral proteins and the back to the positive strand RNA so more copies can be made so you go from a single positive strand to negative strand whereby that negative strand can um, be transcribed into proteins or are the or back to positive RNA for replication. And the viral proteins then help it assemble into viruses and then it just pops out of the cell. When you get COVID-19, it's usually divided into three stages or the symptoms are divided into three stages. The first is the asymptomatic stage. This takes place around one to two days after infection. And it's when the virus attaches to the ACE2 receptors and it replicates. And in this stage, um, the virus can be detected by a swab test or a nasal, and nasal swabs are more effective than throat, throat swabs. And then the second stage is the upper airway infection stage. And it's where the virus has migrated down into the respiratory tract and your innate or yeah, your innate immune system has been triggered. And for most patients, this is where COVID-19 ends. It, it the your immune system is able to fight off the virus when it is still in your upper respiratory tract. However, in in not really rare cases, but in less common cases, where the whereby the disease can develop into acute respiratory distress syndrome and hypoxia. And hypoxia here just means that um low oxygen input. So when the virus um reaches, infects, and damages the alveoli in the lungs, the little air sac. It releases, um, your damaged cells releases interferons. And interferons here are just proteins that are made by the whole cell in response to the presence of a virus. They're supposed to quote-unquote interfere with the viral application, and that's why they're called interferons. The interferon signals nearby healthy cells to release antiviral peptides and cause the breakdown of viruses, or that's what it's supposed to do. The damaged cells then release danger molecules or danger-associated molecular patterns that activate the innate immune system for phagocytosis or when the immune cells basically engulf the virus and break it down that way. And um, the signals that are sent out are answered by macrophages that release even more inflammatory signals. 
and thus it feels it fills the it fills the capillaries and alveolus with fluids. And when it does so, it's bad because when you have inflammation, it basically means that your blood vessels are leaky, so more fluid fills the is saturated in that area, and you and it gets very hot. So inflamed. more, yeah, it's inflamed, okay. and you don't want that to happen in your lungs, especially where you're talking about the alveolus. Yeah, the alveolus, where because it's the yeah, area which, responsible which for is plural. alveoli. Okay, I'm not really sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure, you'll figure it out. Uh-huh. Yeah, the the alveolus is the area responsible for gas exchange inside the alveoli, and fluid is not gas. So when that happens, when kind of collapses on itself. Yeah, it does, yeah. It, it damages the pneumocytes and decreases the surfactants, causing it to um, collapse. But it can also, you, it also start to drown the patient in a way, because your, your lungs are floating. It's like filling up with its own liquids. Exactly. That is nasty. It's, it's scary. When that happens, it's um, when your lungs are so inflamed and there's so much liquid in there, it's called pneumonia, the inflammation of the lungs. And most patients that die from COVID-19 die from. When you talk about like underlying diseases, it's actually quite um, interesting to look at the age difference in like the symptoms. So I looked at this art, this like paper yesterday that talked about why elderly people respond so much badly to so much more, so much worse to the COVID-19 disease than younger people and this is pretty interesting because they're that they're, they're suggesting that um elderly people respond so much worse to the coronavirus is because mm-hmm. of their um immune, immune system whereby it's very um the immune system releases pro inflammatory cytokine release or cytokine storm. A cytokine is Cytokines are a large group of proteins secreted by some um, immune system cells, and they signal and they're supposed to signal and mediate and regulate the immune system. But in aging patients, it's actually not good in this case because they have an increased level of systemic inflammatory, pro-inflammatory cytokines and a decreased level of anti-inflammatory cytokines. So this chronic inflammation is actually known as inflammagic. I don't know why it's saying it's a pretty <laughs> bad. Yeah, and so you see like a lot of ads that a lot of ads that um talk about anti inflammatory products to old people. It's because I get inflammation really easily to their immune system. It's kind of like an autoimmune thing, but I'm not really sure though. That's just why, like, that's so sad. Your own immune system kills exactly, you. which is why the reason why that coughs so much is because infection activates receptors in the cranial nerve and the central nervous system, so it generates a cough response. And in case of like very severe infection, protein rich fluid from all the inflammation and leaky blood vessels enter the bloodstream. So you have a systemic inflammatory response in your whole body, which is likely going to lead to multi-organ failure. Because at that point, antibiotics can't really save you and your immune system is working against itself. And that's why COVID-19 is so dangerous. You know, my grandpa is like 90-something, right? He doesn't want to get vaccinated, you know? He's afraid that he's just going to die because of that. <laughs> yeah, man! I mean, to be fair, he is really, really like, 
week. And yeah, that's the end of my part of this episode. And next episode, I'll be covering the COVID-19 effects in Malaysia. Don't drink and drive. And always stop at red lights. <laughs>